0: Isaiah chapter 39 At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them. And showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah, the prophet, went to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? And from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house, for there is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold. The days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. There was a famous evangelist in the 1800s in the 19th century named D.L. Moody. He was fond of saying, be humble or you'll stumble. We're all familiar with what our grandma and grandpa Mums and dads used to say to us, remember, child, pride goes before what? A fall. That's exactly right. People are strange. They want to be in the front of the bus. They want to be in the back of the church. But they want to be the center of attention. And for the last several chapters, Hezekiah has been the center of attention in the book of Isaiah. It began with. Hezekiah and the Assyrian danger, remember, in chapter 36 and 37, it continued with Hezekiah and the angelic deliverance in chapter 37, verses 21 through 38. We saw the healing of Hezekiah in chapter 38. We now see the hospitality of Hezekiah in chapter 39. Hezekiah has been a recipient, a beneficiary of God's grace of God's mercy, of God's intervention. He has experienced a supernatural healing. He has been delivered from a terrible enemy. God wants Hezekiah to trust Him. God wants the people of Judah and Jerusalem to trust Him. God wants the people of God, the children of God, men and women who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust Him. You see, it's one thing to trust God during a terrible illness, and it's another thing to trust God when when there's a looming enemy. If you're facing a divorce, if you're facing a catastrophe, if you're facing a job loss, and all of the resources, And things that you've come to rely on and depend upon have been yanked out from underneath you. It's easy to cry out to God and to cry and go, God, I need you, I need you, I need you, Lord. And then all of a sudden, everything's fine again. And your heart and your affection and your dependence upon God becomes a little bit less and less and less. That's what's happened in chapter 39. Hezekiah has fallen victim To what many of us fall victim to. Pride. Pride has crept into Hezekiah's life. And and pride, like the venom of a serpent, penetrates our central nervous system. Creates paralysis. Sometimes necrosis. Things turn black and they begin to die. It's just like our friend, remember, from the animal planet, Steve Irwin. I couldn't believe how many people wept and cried when Steve Irwin died. And we loved him. We were thrilled by him. Remember, he would hold up the snake. This is the black mom of the world's most dangerous snake. One bite in your hand will turn black. Your fingers will fall right off your wrist. Nobody move. And you're... the adrenaline start to instructor you would sit there at the tv going don't, stay away don't do it and sometimes we have that unbelievable desire to mess with things that we have no business messing with and that's exactly what's happened hezekiah has done something foolish He shows the visiting ambassadors from Babylon all of Judah's treasure, all of Jerusalem's wealth. Isaiah the prophet confronts the king with his foolishness and warns and then prophesies that the Babylonians will one day return and plunder the treasure and enslave a future generation. And Hezekiah's answer is sad and short-sighted. He says, "At least there will be peace and security in his lifetime." In order to understand what's going on in this particular passage, it's important that you look at another place in Scripture in Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25, because there the, the historical circumstances are unfolding. In Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25, it says, But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and over Jerusalem. We learn in Second Chronicles 32, verse 25, that pride had invaded his heart. Pride destroys our life. There's an interesting passage in the book of Psalms in chapter 10, verse 11. It reads like this. God is watching. They they say to themselves, he'll never know. But he does know. He does know. Pride deceives. Pride lulls a person into the idea that they can live life comfortably apart from God. Now, remember, it doesn't usually begin with outright fist shaking rebellion. It usually begins with, no, I think I'm okay to do this on my own. No, I don't think I have to pray about this. I I don't think that I have to open my Bible about this. I don't think I have to seek God's counsel. I mean, I'm willing to open my Bible and seek God's counsel on the really important things. But these are the little things. And those little things become bigger things, which become bigger things. Blind arrogance. Self-sufficiency. And the presence of God cannot Coexist in a human heart. In other words, the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of the believer is constantly inviting you towards selflessness, humility, dependence upon the Lord. And so, the Bible teaches that pride undermines our faith. Not only does pride undermine our faith, but what it will eventually do is it will cut us off from the presence of God. And then it will eventually cut us off from the presence of the people that we love the most and need the most. Because we typically have a conversation and it goes something like this. I need you. I don't need you. When a person says to you, I need you, does that draw them closer or push them away? Typically, it's going to draw them closer when you say, I don't need you. What does that do? Pushes them away. You see, pride distorts our view of ourselves. And then pride distorts our view of others. And because pride distorts our view of ourself and and it distorts our view of others, the Bible over and over and over again warns us. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't exalt yourself. Don't elevate yourself. In Isaiah 39, look what it says in verse 1. At that time, Merodach, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and that he had recovered. Hezekiah receives an unexpected compliment. The crown prince of one of the leading superpowers in the whole wide world notices King Hezekiah. And, and we, we understand He had heard about the sickness. He had heard about God's hand literally stopping the rotation of the planet. Now, remember from the last chapter, remember God literally paused the planet around its orbit in the sun, in the solar system. And guess what? When God stops time and space, the whole world notices. Hey, we couldn't help but noticing something quite remarkable happened. That you were really sick and that you were going to die and your God stopped the universe, paused and healed you. And by the way, the name Merodach Baladon would have sounded very strange to to Jewish ears. The word Merodach Baladon in the Hebrew language is a rebel, not the Lord. Now, of course, in the Babylonian language, that's not what it means. It's sort of like if you go to a law firm and you see the name of the law firm is. Cheat him, em, cheat em, and steal. And you go to the next line, to the next firm. The, even the words Merodach Baladin would have been harsh and difficult for a Hebrew person to hear. And most of you know that Nimrod was the founder of Babylon centuries early. he Earlier, he was discussed in the Bible as the person who typifies rebellion and resistance. You have Assyria breathing down your neck, threatening you with violence. But Babylon shows up with presence and with smiles. You, you probably had the devil come to you in two different ways. Fire-breathing dragon seeking to destroy you. But when he shows up with presence and a smile, you sometimes drop your guard. That's exactly what's happened here. The only thing wrong about getting an unexpected compliment is the nagging suspicion that they haven't said quite enough. Hey, we're here and we're noticing you. Who doesn't want to be noticed, especially by somebody famous? I read a story about the former Secretary of Labor, Robert Donovan. He was the Secretary of Labor under President Ronald Reagan. And in his memoirs, he tells of a story of being on Air Force One. And he's in the back of the compartment of the jet while President Reagan was in the front of the, of the compartment. And the, the phone rang. In the back of the compartment and the voice said, Mr. Donovan, the president would like for you to join him for lunch. And Secretary Donovan straightened his tie and he thought to himself how important he was because he was asked by the president of the United States to have lunch. And just as Donovan walked through the doorway into the president's compartment. The red phone, you know the red phone, the presidential hotline began to ring. And, and so Donovan was thinking, wow, what a moment in history. Here I am on Air Force One. The President of the United States is picking up the hotline. This is it nuclear war? What is, what's happening? And Donovan's heart almost stopped and his mind is racing. And the President goes, okay, what are my options? Well, I'll have the iced tea. And Donovan's ego is just sort of deflated. It really is about perspective. In 2nd Chronicles chapter 32 verse 31 in the historical section of 2nd Chronicles, it says this chapter 32 verse 31. However, regarding the ambassadors of, of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him, that is to Hezekiah, to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32 verse 31 we're given insight into the visit by the ambassadors of Babylon. God allowed this envoy, this convocation, this group to come to Hezekiah To test him. That he might know what was in his heart. It was a test. And here's how the test goes. The test is this. Hezekiah is sick unto death. And he cries out to me. The Assyrians are knocking at the northern door, threatening extinction. I wonder if he's going to trust me. And this goes to the heart of what's happening in this passage. Because the real test is, will Hezekiah trust the Lord, not just during the difficult times, not just during the times of illness, not just during the times of threat. Will he trust the Lord daily? And the same is true of you, isn't it? And of me. You have a catastrophe in your life. And God shows up. There are prayers and people. There are tears and ministry. There's support and encouragement. But now God wants Hezekiah to trust him every day and in every way. You see, there are fair weather friends and there are fair weather Christians who show up at church when their life is falling apart. But when things are going relatively good, they give themselves permission. Well, you know, I don't really need to read the Bible. and I don't really need to go to church. You know, everything is pretty much going fine in my life. One Bible writer, John Oswald, said, They saw... Trust. Speaking of the people of Judah and Jerusalem, they saw trust as a means of getting out of a crisis rather than as a lifelong expression of a covenant relationship. Is that what you see? Trust. Do you see trust as a means of getting out of a crisis? Because the truth is this. You will do one of two things in your life. You will trust the Lord or you will try to manipulate your environment in order to get your environment to do what you want to have done. Again, Oswald writes, quote, they saw trust only as a means of getting their needs met. But that reduces trust into a device for manipulation. When it's used that way, it's bound to fail, for God cannot be manipulated. The result is the same today as it was in Judah and Israel. We turn to other means of manipulation to supply our needs. For Judah, in their case, it was the worship of other gods. And then Oswald writes, as I have said frequently before, idolatry is an attempt to manipulate our environment in such a way as to meet our needs. The idolatrous instinct is ever present with us, and as soon as we abandon trust in God, idolatry in one form or another is waiting in the wings. This is even more likely if we evaluate our success in life as Hezekiah seems to have done by our possessions. We keep confusing the ends and the means. The intended end of our life is an abundant life. The life in which God's fullness is poured into ours. A byproduct of that fullness is physical and material blessing. But that is only a byproduct. When we make it the end and we put it forward as the evidence of our success in life. Manipulation of God in order to secure that end is almost inescapable. Manipulation and trust. Are incompatible. You see, you can't trust God. And attempt to manipulate God. In the same sentence. Success can sometimes dazzle us. Into thinking that we're achieving. When in fact we're really not achieving at all. Hezekiah has been delivered. The envoy has shown up. Hezekiah is star struck. But what happens is. I suspect, again, he has refused to form a relationship with Egypt. He's certainly refused to form a relationship with Assyria. But there's something inside of him that asks and answers the question, I wonder if Babylon, if it should be Babylon, who's going to provide me with the security that I need in order to go forward. And guess what? They're going to go to Babylon. Because at this time in their life, they are hopelessly and helplessly involved in idolatry. When God allows the Babylonian captivity to take place almost 100 years from this particular point, if the Babylonian captivity does anything, it cures Judah and Jerusalem forever from the problem of idolatry. Um, Some of you know Tom Brokaw, the TV newsman. Um, You may not know his whole story. One time after he had become the famous co-host on NBC, um, he was wandering through Bloomingdale's in New York and he was promoted to the co-host of the Today Show. And that show was sort of a pinnacle for Brokaw. After years of work, he started off his broadcasting career in Omaha, then for NBC in Los Angeles, and then he went to Washington, and he was feeling really good about himself, and he noticed that there was a man watching him in Bloomingdale's, and the man kept staring at him, and finally, when the man approached him, Brokaw was sure he was about to reap the first fruits of being a New York television celebrity, and the man said, you're, you're Tom Brokaw, right? he "Oh, that's right, I'm Tom Brokaw, yeah. And he's waiting for the acolyte. Yeah, you're famous. You're famous. And and he goes, wait a minute. I knew you. He goes, you're the guy who does the news in Omaha. He goes, whatever happened to you? You know, we think I'm famous. Everyone should recognize that I'm famous. Hezekiah is famous. It's feeding his ego and it's feeding his pride. In verse 2, I know you're going, what? We're only at verse 2? I'll make it quick. Look what it says in verse 2. And Hezekiah was pleased with them. And he showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment. And all his armory, that means his gun, knives, ropes, explosive devices, nuclear weapons. No, they don't have nuclear weapons. I just made that part up. All that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Why? Why did Hezekiah do this? Do you know what it's like? It would be like in our culture and society. Imagine you go on the Internet and you get an instant message. Who are you? I'm Gino Geraci. Give me your driver's license and Social Security number. Sure. See, you laugh because you go, are you an idiot? What are your bank account numbers? No problem. Social security number, driver's license, bank account numbers. And the problem with that is what exactly? Don't you know that they could steal your identity? Trust me, nobody wants to steal my identity. Hey, guess what? There are people who do want to steal your identity. And remember, it becomes more and more. Possible in direct proportion to the amount of wealth that you have. Yeah, they, they steal Gino Gerasi's identity. Oh, Wells Fargo account. $47.27. Hey, it's mine now. But that would be different if they stole Bill Gates, huh? Bill Gates. a $122 billion. And that's exactly what's happening here. Why did he do this? Why? What was he thinking? I suspect again that he is thinking, hey, the Assyrians have been defeated. I've been delivered from a terminal disease. I have enough wealth and prosperity to last me for the 15 years I've done the math. Let's see. I've got $150 million. If I'm spending so much money, if I spend $10 million a year for the next 15 years, I'm going to be in good shape. But you see, again, contrast the treasures of this world The silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and the military capability. He's showing them all of this because he is giving. He wants to leave Babylon with the impression that he would be a great ally. And sometimes Christians fall into the same trap. Remember, Babylon is a type and a picture of the world. Haven't you ever heard? Well, if the world could only recognize what a wonderful person this person is, if the, if the world would only buy Rick Warren's book, if the world would only buy Joel Olstein, and you go, well, they are. If the world would only buy the Left Behind series, they did, to the tune of 47 million copies. But when the world gets exposed to the things of God, does the world typically change and get transformed and become the people of God? Sometimes that's true. But I'm going to suggest something to you. That when Christians play games with the world, what, what's been your experience? Do Christians become more like the world or does the world become more like the Christian? What's been your experience? Yeah. Yeah. That's been my experience too. the Christians become more like the world. And look at verse three. Then Isaiah, the prophet, went to Hezekiah and said to him, "Uh, what did these men say? And from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. You'll notice something. Isaiah's first question. What did these men say? you notice that Hezekiah doesn't answer his question? What did they say? Dude, we heard you were sick. King brought you gifts. Hey, we just wanted to let you know that we think you're OK. What did they say? And look at verse four. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house, there is nothing about among my treasures that I have not shown them. You mean, what did you do? I gave him my name. Then what did you do? I gave him my social security number. Then what did you do? Gave him my driver's license number. Then what did you do? I gave him my checking account number. Then what did you do? I gave him the savings account number. Then what did you do? I gave them access to all of the top secret clearances that provide the safety and security for the entire nation. And you did that for what reason? You know what? It's because he felt invincible. You know what's interesting to me? Hezekiah doesn't lie. He tells the truth. He doesn't hem and haw and he doesn't go, mm, I showed them stuff. What stuff? He says, I showed them everything. And look at verse five. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah. Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, Isaiah predicts that the Babylonian captivity is going to take place. By the way, it won't take place until almost, well, actually more than a century later in 586 B.C. All of this is happening right around between 710 and 703 B.C., There's a kind of a good news and bad news in this. To a king without an heir, to a king without a son, to a king with no children, he hears the prophecy. and He says, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left and they shall take away some of your sons. Wait a minute. I don't have any sons. What? You mean I'm going to have. Sons. Yeah, but listen to the rest of the the prophecy. And they shall take away your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. In other words, they won't have a progeny. They won't have offspring. They will be slaves. Don't you understand what has happened? You have sold Your future. And look at Isaiah's strange response in verse 8. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, At least there will be peace and truth in my days. The way that the Hebrew is constructed, it seems to say, For he said in his heart, That is, he said inside of himself, he said under his breath, whew, at least I'm okay. It would be like if we said, United States of America will completely run out of oil by the year 2047. And you go, okay, I was born in 1956. Uh, Do I care? No. No. The national debt will be $27 trillion by the year 2020. And I care about that for what reason? It's very short-sighted. But some people have thought about this verse in a different way. You see, there's been two ways that people have responded to this verse. Some have said, Is this a humble submission to God's judgment? Is this Hezekiah's way of saying, Look, it's clear what I did was wrong. God has a plan and a purpose, and the future is going to unfold whether I do what is right or whether I do what is wrong. If God has decided to judge because of my wrong behavior, what God says is good. Or is this the word of the Lord has spoken is good because, hey, at least the judgment isn't going to fall on me. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, at least it's not going to go to hell in a handbasket on my watch. What is being said? Which do you think it is? Well, whatever else it means, it does mean this. Hezekiah was mortal and fallible. Remember, part of the point that is happening is the Babylonian captivity isn't taking place. Simply because the Babylonian envoys will show up because they will lust after and want all of the riches and treasure that little Judah and little Jerusalem has. But there is an accumulation of events that have taken place Over a period of time, as God has been working with the people of Judah and he's been working with the people of Jerusalem and he's been working with the leadership, both of Judah and Jerusalem, over and over again, calling them to repentance, asking them to turn from their sin, asking them to trust the Lord. And over and over and over again, there has been the repeated response We'll trust the Lord occasionally. We'll trust the Lord sporadically. We'll trust the Lord when times are tough. We'll trust the Lord when times are difficult. We'll trust the Lord when we're we're facing a life-threatening crisis. We'll trust the Lord when there is a disease. We'll trust the Lord when it looks like my world is coming apart. But I reserve the right not to trust the Lord if everything is going hunky-dory. If there's a lesson in this particular passage, that is the lesson. Trust is supposed to be something day by day by day. Our trust cannot be in the hope that people will do what is right. Our trust cannot be in the hope that people will get better and better and better and one day. The world will be sunshine, lollipops, rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is what I'm feeling when we're together. Brighter than a lucky penny when we're near that rainbow disappears, and that's what feels so fun. You know the song. Things are just going to get better and better. The sun's going to come out tomorrow. We maintain. That people will remain sinners. And that the ongoing invitation will remain the same. That God's solution to the problem of sin in the life of the individual is the person of Jesus Christ. It is the sacrifice of Christ. It is the life of Christ. It is the death of Christ. We maintain That the problem is still sin and that the solution is still a savior. We maintain that if there is anything in our life that is worth having, it's because of Jesus. By the way, who gets the glory in your life? What are you showing people? Do you show people your things, your treasures, your accomplishments, your successes, I know that that's what I do sometimes. And I think, well, yeah, I'll show them my things and I'll show them my accomplishments and I'll show them my successes and then I'll throw Jesus into the conversation. But guess what? God, if for whatever reason you have any accomplishment in your life, if you have any success, In your life if you have any riches in your life if there's anything good or decent In your life Who gets the glory Who gets the honor Who gets the praise I think what was happening in this particular passage Is isaiah is reminding Hezekiah, God is committed to you. He loves you. He's been trying to cultivate a friendship and a relationship and a lifestyle of trust. Will you trust the Lord? Is that what you're doing? Are you allowing the circumstances, the events, the accomplishments, the successes, the failures? Are you allowing the dependence and the humility and the circumstances of your life to cultivate trust in the Lord? The person who trusts the Lord knows. That God is in control and that God knows what's best. Have you ever heard the expression, have what you want, but want what you have? Are you trusting the Lord? Hezekiah, by the way, didn't save Judah. Hezekiah didn't save Jerusalem. The wealth, the gold, the silver, the ointment, the armory, that is not what delivered Jerusalem. It was the Lord. Your successes didn't deliver you. Your accomplishments didn't deliver you. Your keen sense of fashion didn't deliver you. It was the Lord. Hezekiah didn't save Judah and Jerusalem, and only Jesus Christ can save people. Only the Lord is worthy of honor and ultimate trust. Are you trusting in the Lord? Let me just remind you of a couple of things before we close and before we have communion. I want you to ask yourself this simple question. What are the characteristics of trust? What comes to your mind? I'm going to suggest to you three words. Confidence. Dependence. And faith. That's the essential ingredients of trust. Have you ever talked with anyone and you said, oh, we have trust issues. I have trust issues. I find it difficult to trust people. And I typically will say, good for you. People are snakes. They're weird. They're not trustworthy. Your confidence should be in Christ. Your dependence should be on God. Your faith is in the Lord. Trust almost always involves patience. So here's a symptom if you're not trusting that you're impatient. Trust involves patience. Trust requires courage. Trust involves a heartfelt confidence in the Lord. You're familiar with the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths. Leaning means to place your full weight, your full confidence on something. And so when the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, that's where we typically make the huge mistake because our confidence is in our own circumstances, in our, in our own understanding. When we have an important decision to make, we sometimes feel that we can't trust anyone. Including God. But no one, no one knows better than the Lord what's best for you. I grew up during that ridiculous time of television with Father Knows Best. Do you remember that show? Some of you are old enough to remember. Robert Young, Father, father Knows Best. And I thought, maybe if your father is Robert Young... Try living with my father. And I've told you about my dad. You know how uh, on his income tax return under occupation, he writes legitimate businessman. You know, my father is one of those guys who clearly decidedly long ago had a completely different way of looking at life and looking at the world and, and looking at circumstances But your heavenly father isn't like your earthly father, even if you had a great earthly father, even if you had a wise earthly father, even if you had someone who actually from a godly and a biblical perspective is able to evaluate things from a godly perspective and point you in the right direction. Godly fathers for all of their godliness. Godly fathers for all of their wonder. And and I praise God for every godly father who exists in the whole wide world. And this becomes part of the point. Hezekiah really is a righteous person. Hezekiah really is a godly person. Hezekiah really is the beneficiary of so much of God's grace, so much of God's mercy, so much of God's love, so much of God's healing, so much of God's deliverance. But he still felt prey to pride. He still was constantly tempted to depend on something other than the Lord. God knows what's best for you. I want you to think carefully. And I certainly want you to pray carefully. And I certainly want you to open your Bible. But just remember. Father knows best. We must not be wise in our own eyes. We must be willing to be corrected by God's word. We must be willing to be corrected by wise counselors who are consistent with God's word. So bring your choice to God in prayer. Bring your need to God in prayer. Open your Bible. But if trust means anything, it must also mean giving God, not just your heart, not just your past, not just your present, but your future, every day, day after day. If trust means anything, it means wholeheartedly believing that God's promises are true. However, we wind up interpreting verse eight when Hezekiah says to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken is good. It is good. God's plans are always the best plans. God's choice is always the best choice. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. I read that in the New Living Translation and I really liked it. In the New Living Translation, the verse reads this way. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in this same way. No matter where we are. No matter what we've done. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that an amazing promise? You can have your sins forgiven. You can have your future secure. Trust Him. Not simply today, but every day. Trust his promises. Not simply when they make sense. But particularly when they don't make sense. We're going to have communion now. And what I want to do is just ask you to hold the elements until we all have an opportunity to uh, partake together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank You for the love of God and the mercy of God and the salvation of God. But Lord, sometimes it's difficult for us to trust You. Not because You don't deserve to be trusted, because You are. Lord, if ever we could have confidence, if ever we should cultivate dependence, if ever there was someone who was worthy of faith, worthy to be praised. It's you. Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your courage. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, you're at work in our hearts. Every single moment of every single day. Lord, we know that there's a test. And the test is, will we trust you? Will we we trust you right at this very moment for that painful circumstance, for that broken relationship, for that offense, for that deprivation, for that circumstance? Lord, will we trust you today? It's a test. Lord, will we trust you today? That you would create within us a heart of humility and dependence and confidence, not in ourselves and not in our own resources but in our lives. Lord, I pray that as we prepare our hearts to, you, that you would instill within us Lord a desire to trust. You.